it's a process it's an information driven process so if we're producing data for particular purposes it supports that process Welcome to Construction Disrupted, the ultimate podcast for the construction industry, exploring the limitless possibilities at the dynamic intersection of construction and technology. Wow, that's a mouthful. Delve into the latest topics, news, events, expert insights, and marketing that are shaping the industry right now and in the future. We'll hopefully sprinkle a little bit of humor in there for you as well. I'm your guide, Peter Sumpton, and I run a construction technology marketing agency, Build Different. If you're ready to embrace disruption and unlock the potential of the construction industry, keep on listening and be part of the conversation that's reshaping the future of construction. If you're not, uh, I really wouldn't bother. It's it's probably not going to be that interesting for you. Whether you're a construction technology professional or just part of the construction industry in general. This podcast is your go-to resource for staying informed, inspired, and of course, connected. Speaking of connected, the best way you can help to support this podcast is by sharing it far and wide and leaving us a five-star review wherever you download your podcasts. Right then, let's go and build different and get disruptive. Within the ever-expanding world of construction technology, there is one process that is a constant. It can sometimes feel like it is the only way to create that single source of truth which most tech needs to function and more organizations need to successfully deliver projects. I am, of course, talking about BIM, Building Information Modeling. And even though it's been around, in theory, since the 1970s, It wasn't until the 80s that BIM, as we know it now, started to become the software we use today. Which is quite a lengthy period of time for technology to advance. And with these advances came more sophisticated ways of utilising BIM as a tool within construction. The only real ceiling to this being the computer power we place behind it. Now, it would be foolish for us not to cover BIM in some detail here due to its importance. We need to speak to someone who knows a thing or two about it. Our guest today is Paul Wilkinson, who has been working in construction industry marketing and PR for over 30 years, and has become a leading authority on the use of construction collaboration technology platforms. What started out as a temporary job has lasted, in various guises, over the last three decades. Writing about construction IT, Paul produced a guide on website development for construction IT in 2000 and has contributed technology chapters to several books on construction business development, collaborative working, and e-business in construction, leading to the release of his own book, Construction Collaboration Technologies, The Extranet Evolution in 2005. More recently, Paul's experience has focused on SaaS, Software as a Service, Web 2.0, and BIM, as well as public speaking and lecturing. And he's also the vice chair of NEMA, formerly the UK BIM Alliance. Paul, welcome to the podcast. And did I miss anything off that intro? 
No, I think you covered it all uh, pretty much there. There's some stuff I'd almost forgotten. Fantastic. I get that quite a lot, actually. Um, people saying that that was quite eloquently put and I'm quite surprised all the stuff that I've, I've done, uh, which is always good to hear. Okay, excellent. Right, let's get right into this. Uh, as my intro alluded to, uh, we're going to be talking about BIM today. And according to Construction Digital, BIM systems act as a, a matrix for those that, that don't know, connecting up an entire building so you can gain actionable insights into data coming from your smart systems. So basically, it's the matrix for construction without having to choose between a blue or a red pill. Can you break it down for us here? Why is it that BIM seems to have become the heartbeat of most uh, technological advancements uh, in construction? Um, BIM is all about information, and information has always been right at the heart of all construction activities. Even before we were dealing with the electronic opportunities, we were exchanging information in paper, but it was still information. And you know, we we uh, were moving paper around um, in vast quantities. I, I joined a civil engineering organization in 1987, and they had rooms full of people drawing, making designs on drawing boards. By the time I left seven years later, they'd moved to CAD, computer-aided drafting or computer-aided design, and were working more electronically. And that the process has continued um, almost unabated ever since. Building information modeling or building information management has been around for 20 years or so. And mm -hmm. it is really the, the latest manifestation of how we exchange information. Um, and it's it's a powerful way of connecting all stages of information development and use. The reason we we went electronic was that it was more economic to do so. It it took less mm. time to update drawings rather than having to produce them from scratch every time we did new revisions. Um, so we now have that opportunity not only to create information once and then use it many times, but also to revise it more quickly. And, and particularly uh, these days, to track its use through the whole process. And that helps enable better collaboration. We can, you know, we can share information more quickly and easily with those that we need to collaborate. Because nobody does design on their own. Nobody does construction on their own. They always have to work with other partners. And that's where information um, sits in this role and building information management and, and the, whole uh, the whole area of uh, electronic communication generally sits at the very heart of supporting that collaborative effort in construction. Okay, excellent. So eloquently put and nothing more than I'd expect from, from yourself, uh, Paul. But I'd, I'd quite like to get into a bit of the, the, the nitty gritty here because it's not without its its challenges and, and it's not like, like you said, we went from paper to, to more digital uh, tools and it's not like that hasn't changed over time and, and we'll get into what all that kind of stuff means in in a little bit but what i'd, I'd like to to understand now uh, i think we can all agree that tech never stands still uh, and it makes sense to always keep a, a keen eye on the future and, and, and what's coming up especially in in construction now buildings are, are, are supposed to last for decades if not centuries or at least they were and you know we, we, let's not get into that argument in terms of how 
modern day houses are are, are built because that's not for, for here um but in terms of the technology making advances and integrating into these buildings i suppose that needs to stand the test of time as well if we're building for the future and, and longevity of buildings to to last a, a longer time so that means taking more traditional approaches and updating them into something that is more future-proof, like you were saying, with drawings and then into into the into the digital realm. With BIM specifically, what are the challenges here, and can we truly make these giant industry-wide technological changes stick within the wider construction community? Uh, I think we can. We've we've been doing it for a long time. I mean, as I mm. mentioned, uh, we were starting to make those changes back in the 90s. Um, and this was before we had the World Wide Web and the Internet really embedded in, in our everyday working. We've seen um, you know, uh, challenges that the, the industry, the, the construction sector has particularly faced um, that come that relate not so much to the technology, but more to the structure of the industry. Um, it is a, a sector which has historically underinvested in IT. Businesses used to see uh, information technology as an overhead. And the construction sector is, if you look at some, some of the work that's come out of McKinsey, one of the least digitized in industry sectors of all. There was a piece of research that said construction uh, is only just ahead of agriculture and hunting um, <laughs> in terms of... Uh, its level of digitization and um, admittedly that was an american piece of research but uh, they found in europe uh, construction was bottom of all of the industries that they looked at so we, we have to overcome that underinvestment in it we have also to uh, overcome a misconception that it is um, expensive and costly uh, it delivers um, in my view um, efficiency improvements, you know, it pays for itself very, very quickly. And if you look at wider society, most people are using mobile phones, they're using tablets, they're using laptops, day in, day out. Um, there is no reason why uh, people should be still reverting back to paper. Um, there are still organizations that insist on getting some information in paper format or electronic paper format. Um, but you know that, that we're, we're we are a much more um, you know uh, a professional industry, much more um, capable of dealing with complexity through clever use uh, of the technology at, that we have at our fingertips. You know, and uh, I think also we have to overcome an, a, the aversion that the industry used to have uh, about sharing information. Um, this mm. is a, an industry which is notoriously um adversarial often uh, resorts to litigation um, and knowledge is power in those circumstances and so people are sometimes a little bit protective about how much information they share and also careful about any liabilities that they might have but you know there are ways in which we can encourage collaboration not just through the sharing of technology but by being more astute about the forms of contracts and and the, and the types of insurances that we have around our projects so do you think that reluctance to share is is part of why construction in general has been slow on the uptake on on IT? Uh, I think it has. It, it certainly was in the early days. And also there was nervousness about what was seen as 
potentially cutting edge technology. We, we meant, you mentioned software as a service, for example. Um, if we go back 20 years to when that was first emerging in the UK construction market, people were very nervous about their data being in the cloud, uh, to, uh, mm. as the phrase was. Um, they wanted it within their firewall on their local network, ideally you know, not shared uh, with anybody. Um, so we, we've had to overcome people's suspicions, um, concerns about securities, concerns about uh, liabilities and so on. Um, but that's taken, you know, that's taken a while, but it's also been helped by wider adoption of technology. You know, as I said, we routinely use mobile phones in our day-to-day -day life and we share information in a way in, on social media that probably makes some construction traditionalists cringe but you know th this is the reality of working and you know i think it's often the um, newer entrants to the profession who are much more open to the adoption of new technology and and the use the routine use and sharing of information in their day in their day-to-day -day jobs a couple of things that have also helped uh, mm. one was covid uh, covid 19 Okay. Um, mm. It demonstrated that you didn't need to be in an office and you didn't need to be on a local area network in order to share information. Um, so it meant that we could, uh, you know, the, the technology enabled uh, organizations to continue to work uh, effectively and in some cases even more effectively because the, the, they were uh, enabling flexible working. Um, and then also we're starting to see um, new um, client demands um, and new industry demands from legislation on things like building safety, um, which mean that information is uh, increasingly going to be demanded in electronic formats. You won't have the option of reverting back to paper um, because mm. the legislation will require it to be shared electronically. Yeah, I mean, re really good points there in terms of the advancements and and it, it, it's strange how circumstances out of your control can can speed things up or, or, or slow things down and and in this in this turn it, it certainly sped things up you had a, a point there where you were saying that everything was behind a, a firewall and and it was a lot more closely guarded in terms of information and data do you think that that's potentially damaging on the the uptake or um the integration to the wider community of data because uh, i know working in previous organizations you know they had their own way of storing data and information on their own systems uh and and you know various different codes or however they implement it and then if they're going to open that up you're coming up against other organizations with their own types of data storage and, and documentation do you think that's that's a potential um pitfall and something we're going to have to overcome more than other industries that were more open i, th I think it's something that um we have to address um mm. to a large extent the technology enables a lot of consistency in how people work um you know there's widespread adoption of uh, common operating systems microsoft you know people will often be setting up folders and uh, files within those folders and so forth um and certainly the technologies that enable collaboration work on, you know, uh, they look like files-based, uh, folder-based systems. You've got registers of information. 
And I, and I think working uh, on common systems, which are increasingly widely deployed, brings about a level of um, increased standardization rather than people having bespoke filing structures. They can mm. see what works well in a technology that other people are currently using. And th they start then to converge on um, emerging standards, let's say. Mm. So if we think about the, the BIM journey that we've been on for the last 10 years, um, a lot of the early work in terms of developing the international standards um, started in the UK through people beginning to uh, identify what were common practices, what were common processes, because BIM is essentially, it's not a technology, it's a process. And mm -hmm. it was a what we what we engaged in in the UK was creating a series of prototype standards. The the PASs, PAS eleven ninety two was the, was the main uh, set of, uh, of these um, publicly available specifications at the time. These developed into what eventually became uh, the ISO standard ISO nineteen six fifty. So the UK was right at the heart of developing a lot of the stand the the standardized approaches that are now commonplace um, in deployment of BIM um, not just in the UK but right around the world um, you know, we, we have a lot of crossover with um, other economies who are now using the ISO standards as the basis for for their um, uh, development of built environment information um, using a bit, uh, building information modeling approaches that's that's really interesting and it leads me on to the the, the next point so you know we, we've got these things in place to, to make sure it's more more structured and you know it, it sounds like the uk was quite well advanced from from that perspective but there was a quote in construction europe by a chap called paul mccormack innovation manager at belfast metropolitan college and he stated that the construction sector is increasingly struggling with how to gather data in a coordinated fashion across the entire sector supply chain. But by upskilling the workforce initially to master the digital fundamentals and then to utilize BIM to gather the data, the sector can then organize, store and extract value from the data. I thought it highlighted quite nicely where we are as an industry um, quite well. Do you agree with this? And what are your thoughts or where should we be looking to train and upskill people so we can better use data and, and BIM as a process in the future? I, I think when it comes to upskilling people, and that's really, I think, the, the, the core of what uh, was, was talked about there, uh, you know, it, it helps that we have standards in place. It helps that we have common approaches um, to the way that we work. One of the tools that we have in the UK, for example, building on the standards is a thing called the UK BIM framework, which is the overarching mm. framework for, for delivering work. And so a lot of the uh, upskilling is based around helping people um, use the guidelines, um, use the, uh, you know, it's not just the standards, but there's a, there's a host of other material and it's all freely available on the UK BIM framework website. Um, so there's lots of resources there that um, can form part of that upskilling, part of that training and education process. Um, but it, you know, and it's it's very clear that it's not about the technology. Successful collaboration 
is um, certainly in my view, and, and most of the people in NEMA uh, would, would agree, it's successful collaboration is 90% people and process. So it is about bringing uh, organizations, their processes and their people up to speed, um, but also offering that opportunity for organizations to uh, sometimes use technology to their advantage. Um, certainly uh, adoption of technology and, and you know, the, the fact that an employer is using the latest technology can make that organization more attractive to new recruits. So, you know, it also makes construction potentially more attractive than it might have been when it was seen as, um, you know, dirty and dangerous um, and full of, you know, full of people in wellies and hard hats and high-vis jackets. Um, you know, the, the, the view that you can have of construction now can be very much uh, different uh, when you show, for example, people working in a design environment using um, not just um, the 3D aspects of uh, working which many people associate with BIM but also the much wider opportunities to be capturing information through through drones through laser surveys through clever use of, of, of uh, visualization techniques including photogrammetry um, and then you know being able to explore um, virtual reality worlds or mixed reality worlds you know that that's that's really where you know construction can be seen to be not just lagging behind, but actually ahead of the game in in, in some senses. Um, mm -hmm. You know, uh, very much cutting edge um, uh, in in its uh, uh, opportunities for people joining the profession. People want and for organisations wanting to be seen to be more innovative to their clients. Yeah, we'll, we'll come on to emerging trends and and, and technology in in a little while and. I, I find it a, a quite an not an advanced industry. I wouldn't say that, but quite innovative in 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 their approaches to to a lot of things. And and when that technology does become integrated for for some organisations, it can massively help them. But having said that, um, some of the terminology and and if you're not used to it, can be quite confusing. I would say. And there's one company that, that I think breaks that down quite well in terms of what this means and answering the more simplistic questions or maybe not simplistic questions, but questions that make things sound a little, answers that make things sound a little simple, simpler, and, and that's NBS. Um, mm -hmm. And I think to upskill, people really need to get to grips with with these terminologies and understand that it's not, the terminologies are usually more complex than using the actual tech. Uh, so if you look at BIM specifically, I, I remember oh God, many, many years ago going to a half an hour talk about somebody that you using BIM and they started talking about 2D and, and, and 3D. And in a bit of research, I, I noticed there's like 8D, I think people are talking about. Even that itself is quite confusing if, if you're not into that kind of thing because you just think 3D, you think what that means visually. Yeah. Uh, so... Can you just walk us through these kind of dimensions, if you like, or advancements in BIM? And is there a better way to categorize them and, and describe what the heck all these different things are? Yeah. I mean, the traditional dimensions are height, length, and width. That's the 3D bit. <laughs> yeah. um, you, you can add the fourth dimension, which is one of time. So you can look at how a design might uh, evolve 
over a timeline you know that's really beginning to get animate something that way but that, that those are those are i think in my view mainly the the, the what we would regard as dimensions um you know the institution institutions uh, the institutional structural engineers um wouldn't regard um cost for example or um you know so we get into 5d some people call cost the fifth dimension but it's not it's not a dimension it's not something you can tangibly see or um perceive in, in the process it, you know it, it's an attribute more than anything um so there and particularly when you get beyond 5d i i saw somebody yesterday talking about an approach which they called 5d plus um and they were starting to talk about that in terms of what it meant for carb for decarbonization but there's confusion there um and mm -hmm. some people put 6d down as whole life they talk about uh, a dimension which relates to how you use information for whole life purposes for, for for facilities management for asset management and so on you know i think it's a lot easier to avoid those kinds of things and just talk about whole life use of information that's what we'll be doing um in april um 2024 uh, nema has a virtual conference and the, the theme of the whole day will be about you know maximizing value through using information for whole life uh, management of the built environment mm. i think that's what we should be doing anyway really with the with the tech you know it's looking at lifetime and, and like we were talking about earlier, it's it's very much about um, the, the longevity of the building and that technology, which will change a lot quicker than the buildings yeah. do. Uh, but making sure that it is scalable and and, and usable in 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. Um, yeah, I, I wrote, I, I helped write a, a code of practice last year on um, interoperability uh, in the built mm. environment. So it was a code of practice, an interoperability code of practice for technologies. And interoperability is basically the ability for um, different for information to be shared between users um, and uh, exchanged in a way that doesn't re require reliance upon a proprietary technology. Um, okay. So you know, if if we can make that uh, make information more interoperable, we we reduce our reliance upon on solutions which might get dated uh, and mm -hmm. prevent us accessing information. Um, because the, the software is no longer available or the software has a new version of the software has come out and the old version is no longer supported certainly the principles that we put in place in that code of practice one of the key ones was longevity you know it's recognizing that for a client organization different to a construction team for a client organization their responsibility for uh, managing that asset goes may, might be decades and even at the end of those decades, um, they may have a further obligation in terms of recycling or, or dismantling and, and repurposing uh, elements mm -hmm. of, of that piece of infrastructure so that we can make new use of materials or, or fresh use of the facility itself. And that's that's one part that a lot of people forget is the end of end of use, end of life decommissioning part of the build. Yeah. You know, it's all focused on building it up but it's easy to forget the breaking it down part as well. Yeah, there is a, um, a phrase that we'll be talking about it at the conference uh, in April um, about design for disassembly, um, which okay. you know envisages that you have 
components that could potentially be taken, you know, rather than being demolished, the building could mm. be dismantled and broken down into uh, constituent parts, some of which could be reused, some of which could mm. be then efficiently recycled. You don't end up with a demolition uh, process where you know um, steel, concrete, and, and other materials are all mixed together, and most of it ends in landfill. You know the the demolition industry is actually quite advanced in how it um, takes materials uh, arisings arising from demolition and and mm. repurposes it. But you know it could it could be made a lot simpler if designers designed in such a way that they made the uh, that end process of recycling and repurposing easier. So that's really where we're we're starting to see some interesting developments there. That's cool. So, so I, I want to finish on the future then, really. And yeah. the more we look to the future, as I think we've <clears throat> we've we've just touched upon, is the emergence of things like smart buildings, utilizing the inter uh, IoT, Internet of Things, that seamless integration in how the industry works, and then all the other various tech, which. We mentioned on this podcast, and, and and you mentioned as well, AR, uh, VR, 3D printing, MMC, of, uh, of course. And these are becoming less futuristic and, and more commonplace. But what I, I'd love to get your take on, on what emerging trends, technologies excite you, and what we should keep a, a closer eye on into the future. Yeah, I mean, we, we went through a period during the, um, the teenies um, where BIM was the buzzword. Um, mm. IoT became a buzzword. Um, we went through AR and VR being buzzwords. Um, and digital twin is another buzzword mm -hmm. we're, we're hearing a lot about. Um, there are different definitions of it depending upon uh, which organizations or even which countries, uh, which organizations in which countries you, you refer to. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, from my side of things, the, uh, the buzzword of choice at the moment seems to be around AI. Ever since ChatGPT came out last year, we've we've had no end of people suddenly excited about the possibilities of uh, AI. But construction industry has been working in this way for for some years. You know the the whole mm. principles around how we design buildings and and how we explore different options. That they exploit the opportunities that come from AI already. You know, we've we've got generative design processes where people, where designers can um, flex building structures and and explore hundreds of different options, um, almost at the click of a, of of a, of a switch once they've generated the, the once they've put in their parameters. Um, but you know, that sometimes there's there's also opportunities that come, and I've mentioned the. Uh, the data capture side of things you know we are able now to explore the existing environment in far more detail and create better um, uh, perspectives on how an, on uh, how a building will fit into its local environment through laser scanning and photogrammetry and, uh, and so forth you know and it's hooking the opportunity comes if you start to think whole life about how we use that early data stage right at the early stages of planning before we even get into detailed design and through construction, but also you know how we then incorporate not just the IoT opportunities of smart buildings, but also think about um, the wider digital twin. You know how how we build connected cities where public transport mm. and um, other infrastructure services, you know, uh, non-sensitive data about those is made commonly available. Um, I use. Um, open data on a routine basis every day 
just to know when when a bus is coming or when a train is going from my local station because it's updated in real time you know that yeah. kind of real time update provides um, a rich way of interacting with your built environment you're not just you know it's not just looking at a google map but your google map will actually tell you when a bus is going to come you know to that to that bus stop or when a, uh, when your um when you when your target train is going to be leaving your local railway station so you can and they do that in real time it's not just on the basis of a timetable you know that that's really powerful in terms of helping people interact with their built environment but also to explore it and understand it you know if they can go they start clicking on things and seeing oh yes this building's really energy efficient or this building is um you know um i can access raw data about you know the humidity or temperature or 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 what have you you know they can start to make informed choices about uh, mm. whether about what environment in, uh, they want to work in and how they can manage that pro how they can manage that environment to make it healthy and more comfortable for themselves <laughs> because the 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 previous three episodes um there was one with uh, Becky Valentine. We spoke about building health, which was all, all about monitoring and highlighting these things you can do to have a, a better healthy environment and, and make the building work for, for us as humans. Then we had, uh, we looked at photogametry and capturing reality with Derek Lawrence. And then we were talking about uh, digital transformation with um, Henry Fenby Taylor, which has led up to yeah. this episode, which is all, all right. about BIM. And and that is BIM is probably the one that connects all those things together, which is really interesting. Yeah, I mean, it, it provides kind of like a spine, an information spine to a whole host mm. of activity. And as I say, it's uh, it's a process. You know, so it's a, it's an information driven process. So if we're producing uh, data, you know, for particular purposes. Um, it supports that process um, right through from the very earliest stages where people are, you know, still th thinking conceptually about what mm -hmm. they might want to do with, with uh, or what they might require, you know, because we're, we're often starting with the end in mind. That's all about requirements. Start with the end in mind and making sure that we keep that end in mind all the way through the process so that everybody is geared towards the same objective. Um, you know, and you know, if we're focused on what we can do to maximise value, it's about you know, particularly in uh, when we're talking about uh, climate change and global warming. You know, we're going to be increasingly focused not just upon delivering buildings, but delivering buildings and other infrastructure, uh, which is as energy efficient as possible, as resource efficient as possible, and provides the 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 best whole life solution. You know, something which is really resilient and capable of long-term use. Fantastic. Great, great uh, way to finish that, I, I, I feel. A great way to finish this conversation uh, on that on that statement because it, it just highlights BIM as as it needs to be highlighted and, and all the benefits that, that, that come with using that process. Uh, Paul, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been so interesting. Um, although BIM seems to be this thing that, that ties it all together, it's always excellent to get behind the actual letters and find out how it is actually used and, and what it can be used for. So thank you so much for, for coming on today. I really do appreciate it. No, no problem at all. And anybody that wants more information should just go and have a look at the NEMA website, which is at wearenema.im. Um, I look after some of that website. So you can find more information about BIM and uh, uh, the, the things we've been talking about today there. 
Excellent. And all the links will be in the show notes as usual. Right. Thanks once again, Paul. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy day and giving this a listen. If you want to chat further about anything you've heard on today's episode, have a topic or technology you'd like me to cover, or simply want to say, hiya, you'll find me on LinkedIn or through the emails, peter at builddifferent.marketing. Stay disruptive. Thank <laughs> you.